0: Hello and welcome to the DC Wash Up. It's a very special episode. We're turning forty, Michael.
1: Woohoo. Hair's falling out, going grey. That's nothing related to turning forty. That's say. just that's just this election. You're covering the election. <laughs> We're all wondering what you know about the end of the world.
0: Uh, in the studio today is myself, Roscoe Whalen, uh, North American correspondent Michael Vincent, and producer Brooke Wiley. Hello. There is only twelve days to go in this election.
1: <laughs> days of our life.
0: And we have a poll lot to talk about
1: today. Oh, oh no. Guys, that was good. <laughs> bad pun. No, no, no. I haven't got time for bad puns. Move along. Move along. Well,
0: no, I think I think it's important because we should talk about polling because it has become a big feature of the campaign. I think we're seeing maybe 6 to 7 polls being released each day, which means that we're seeing the average national lead for Hillary Clinton changing on a day-to-day basis. She goes from 7 points up to 4 points up to tied in different states. Michael, can you make any sense of the polling that we're seeing right now, and how much should we listen to it?
1: This is where it gets really interesting, because as you mentioned, the polls are wildly different. So, for example, Fox News has Hillary up by three, ABC News by six, CNBC by nine, USA Today, Suffolk by nine, APGFK has her up by 14 points in a four-way race. So. Don't just listen to one poll. When when, when Trump says he's up by multiple polls, you know, in various polls, he's talking selectively about one poll that makes him look good. So what you do is you get the combination or the aggregate, put them together, and Hillary's up from anywhere between five or, or more points. And why is that important? Well, that's important because if it's between one and three, that's usually the margin of error, which means Trump's still in the fight. If it's more than three, as we now know, Trump's probably behind. And even his campaign's accepted he's behind. He said it in a radio interview, we're probably behind. Uh, Kelly-Ann Conway said last weekend, Very uh, yeah, we are coming from behind. And in a Bloomberg piece from inside the campaign bunker today, they accept they're behind and they're going to go negative and try and suppress voter turnout. Voter turnout across all the battleground states is critical. So it's not just in this election campaign about people saying, yeah, yeah I'm going to be for so-and-so or I hate so-and-so, I'm going to vote for them. It actually is about getting them from their house... To the polling place, putting their name, crossing the box, and putting it in the ballot box, and there's 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 enormous data based going back years. We've, I, I did a 7:30 piece talking to pollsters, talking to data people, political scientists, two pollsters who've been in the game 30 years. Frank Luntz, Republican through and through, and um, Survey Monkeys Mark Blumenthal, who was having to post prior to that, and um, you know, but he's been around for decades. And these guys say, look even if you talk about Donald Trump having a hidden vote, right? People are too afraid to say who they are, that they're voting for Donald Trump. Yeah, there's actually not that many people that are afraid to talk about voting for Donald Trump anymore. Their friends may not like them anymore or vote for Hillary Clinton. Their friends may not like them anymore. But the reality is, he says, uh, both uh, Frank Luntz and Mark Blumenthal believe that the actual hidden vote for Donald Trump is maybe 1%, 2%. With more than 5% ahead in the polls, it looks like Hillary Clinton is going to win, but she still has to keep, as she said, she's told her people, let's not get complacent. We have to get people out to vote.
2: I think, as Michael says, uh, voter turnout is absolutely key. And one of the problems that the Democrats could face as this gap continues to grow, or even if it just stabilises at around a five-point lead for Hillary Clinton, it could see a number of Democrats who were never enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton in the first place. Bernie's people. Bernie's people, but, you know, Even Even people that, yeah, Yeah. exactly, from not, not turning out on voting day. And although we do have, I think, record numbers of early voters this year, uh, that is potentially not enough if those Democrats stay at home on Tuesday
0: shameless plug for your 7.30 that's going to air actually tonight. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So for those of you listening to this straight away, then please watch 7.30 tonight. For those of you that don't, go online and check it out. It is interesting though because I well, hope you find it interesting. Well, I, <laughs> that's what I get on it.
1: <laughs>
0: well, and you were talking to, as you say, you know, long time pollsters that are talking about how we should, you know, interpret the polls that are coming out. And one thing in particular that you talk about in this piece is what Donald Trump keeps saying, which is the Brexit effect. Mm. And he keeps claiming that, you know, he said he also predicted Brexit. Mm. And there's going to be a Brexit in America on November 8th. Is there any truth to those comments, Michael?
1: I think he called it Brexit Plus at one point, too. Five
0: times Brexit.
1: Wow. <laughs> Five times Brexit, he'd break record polls. He'd be close to George W. Uh, George Washington who got 100% of the electoral college. That's pretty close. Um, yeah, look, so people say Brexit was interesting because it was one-off vote. Mm-hmm. So there's no polling data going back on... You know, looking at how people voted and why they voted or, or, you know, that sort of thing. And it was pretty – the polls were pretty close in the end, although they did favour the uh, Remain. And what these guys have both said, Mark Wilminthor and Frank Luntz have said, no, nah, this ain't Brexit. Americans, um, when you look at the breadth of polling, the depth of polling, the type of polling – so Survey Monkey, for example, asks 30,000 people – different people per week. Wow. Um, that, through their polling method, which is online, but it's not the online tap, 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 you know, which can be used to um, be manipulated. It's through specific, their, th- through their polling site. And if you look at the very re- well-regarded stuff like your Monmouths and your Quinnipiacs and all of those guys, you know, the law of averages comes out at this kind of Hillary's still up by five points. And so if you do put in that 2% hidden vote, um, then, then you know, so-called hidden vote, uh, and many people don't believe that's there. Then it's borderline, like it really is borderline that that Trump is is actually you know potentially going to be able to do this. So that's why the strategy from the Trump campaign we've now heard is to suppress the voter turnout, and that makes a lot more sense when you're not trying to win it by getting your num- your number of people over the line in greater numbers and convince more people to come to your side. You're actually trying to stop the other side from getting their numbers out, and that That's fascinating. And Mark Blumenthal and Frank Luntz do go to this idea that, you know, Brexit is, um, it's interesting to talk about. And it's interesting, like, for example, the surprise in Colombia with the FARC vote where people thought the peace deal there would get across the line because people are sick of the Civil War. No, they didn't like the actual deal. Same with the, the rise of the far right in France and the far right in Austria. Um, surprised a lot of people, but with the amount of data... You can find out in the US, you can find out who voted, where they voted, how they registered. All of that stuff is out in the public record. And the number crunchers here have done it for years. They're so professional. And you go, but hang on, this is the Donald Trump year. All the rules went out the window. They go, yeah, sure. But gravity's still a gravity. And that's where it comes back. They still think they've got it right. And I'll be fascinated to see if they have.
2: What I found interesting about the voter suppression tactics used by the Trump campaign in recent days is it's in recent weeks, really. It seems to be a lot of talk around the election being rigged against him, which protects his personal brand. And we've talked about that a lot. But it also, I feel like, could work very badly against him if his voters don't think their voice counts anyway. Why stand in a voting line for three and a half hours in North Carolina. If you genuinely believe that the election is rigged from the outset, I'm not sure that the pros will outweigh the cons in that tactic.
1: There's been a lot of mixed messages from the Trump campaign. I think that's the one thing that I mean. So many things have dogged their campaign. Let's face it: the, the, the sort of the, the the number of times he's misstepped or shot himself in the foot. But the mixed messaging, and and now it's becoming. It's getting a bit better. It is getting a bit better, like in the final days of the campaign, the targeting of African-American voters with this big speech yesterday, where, for example, in North Carolina, he's currently getting 2%. But it's about making that 2%, maybe 4%, taking that little edge away from Hillary, you know, very late in the game, but still. um, It's those little messages. And also when he talks about, you know, the idea of Brexit, or if he talks about, you know, not draining the swamp, you know, all of that stuff, it's it's trying to re-energise all those people that want change, they don't want him, but they want change, and it's about energising those people to get out and vote, and also the negative stuff on Hillary, the WikiLeaks stuff, and all of the things that the Clinton Foundation, everything else, people, makes people just feel depressed and upset about the whole, oh, I, just want, I just want this election to be over with, and that means, yeah, you're absolutely right, they just go, sod it, I'm not going to turn out.
0: Well, Donald Trump today in Ohio, he's making three stops. He's changed again. He's not talking so much about the rigged system and the rigged polling. He's actually saying, hey, I'm up in a lot of polls and we are going to win. Let's take a listen.
3: The media now, they're going wild. The media is going wild because they're saying, you know, this guy's winning in Florida. He's winning in North Carolina. He's winning in Iowa. He's winning in Ohio. All right. When we win, right, we are going to Washington, D.C., and we are going to drain the swamp.
1: Yes, that's what I love about Donald Trump. Everything's rigged until he's winning. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> if you go back to May, he declared that all the primaries and caucuses rigged against him after the sort of Colorado people who went for Ted Cruz. And then, of course, he won. it. He goes, he actually, I think I have to go back and find the actual quote, but he, I think it's along the lines of, you know, I said the system was rigged. Well, it was until I won it, you know, and there you go. And today on the podcast,
0: we have a special guest. It is the founder of an app which is being described as Tinder for voters. Uh, It is Hunter Scarborough. We met him back at the GOP convention in Cleveland in July, which, boy, Michael feels like a long time ago. Apologies for the line. It's not the best, but the app is certainly very interesting. Hunter, are you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. Nice Nice to be on with you guys.
0: So, Hunter, can you first off just explain to us what is the voter application that you designed?
3: So a voter is essentially Tinder for politics. So you're answering of questions based on your political beliefs, and we show you which candidates support the same issues that you do, and most importantly, have a track record to back that up. So if a candidate has held a principled stance over time on an issue, you're going to match much higher with them than with someone that may have waffled or flip-flopped on that same issue. Basically a a way for anyone to go into the ballot box on election day and vote with confidence um, for the candidates that they know support their beliefs.
2: And Hunter, how do you aggregate all of this information? How do you source the sorts of um, political positions of your users? Like, How do you know for sure that what you're telling them is how they should in fact be voting? Well,
3: I, I wouldn't necessarily say that we want to tell them exactly how they should vote, but we certainly want to give them a very quick and easy way or sort of a guideline as to, you know, who they might want to vote for strictly based on the issues. Obviously, there's more to a candidate than just their issue position, um, and so, we, you know, we emphasize that issues are only part of the equation, but for us, you know, for what we've seen is that it's usually the part of the equation that's lacking the most. You know, we see candidates' personalities uh, on TV, plastered on every screen right now, especially. Um, and so we get a kind of a feel for who they are uh, on screen and even off screen at rallies and events, but we, we, we kind of, it's sometimes difficult to see where they stand on an issue when you have so many conflicting sources. So the way that we get that information is we actually look at, we have researchers that go out and grab, uh, you know, recent stances if they're doing a rally or a campaign and they cite a stance about something, but most of the data we get comes from their track record, so their voting history. Um, we look at their entire legislative record, we pull that in from a, a very cool site called govtrack.us. Um, essentially what I like to call it, what we look at is I like to call it big political data. You hear big data thrown around a lot. It's kind of a buzzword right now. Um, but big political data is a very uh, important uh, resource for us and it's kind of the, the foundation on which the app is built.
1: Okay. For example, you you talk about how data is based on the on the votes and things like that. So... What I hear a lot from Republicans, it depends on what position they are within the Republican Party, but they you know, argue that they want small government, they want you know, small uh, budgets, small debt, and things like that. But, for example, at the moment, the United States has crumbling infrastructure, and you've got someone like Donald Trump that comes out and says he wants to spend big on infrastructure, and that costs money, and it doesn't mean small government. How does someone who instinctively is a Republican going to necessarily hit those same, you know, like, how are they going to follow the nuance in the, you know, I do want to do small government, I do want to do small budgets, but we do need to spend money on this, and it's going to be a lot.
3: Right. So we're actually trying to get away from the two-party, red team, blue team uh, style of politics that's kind of been so popular in the past. We're trying to really focus on each individual issue so that someone can say, you know, maybe even for most issues, they match uh relatively Republican, but if they if they do believe in building uh spending more you know government funding on infrastructure, they can indicate that and and that'll just be represented in, in whoever they match with. Uh whereas someone that let's say is Republican, conservative across the board, um, all the you know small government in every single circumstance, um, that'll still be represented in their matches as well. So our goal is to basically give you out of the options, you know, out of options A B C which Percentage-wise, matches that most with your beliefs and has a track record of actually supporting your beliefs.
2: So, one of the features of this app that I thought was quite interesting, Hunter, was the influencer section. So, based on your results, it gives you a, a who you're likely to vote for, uh, and then also a series of influencers who, if you click on the tab, you can then, you know, see on a percentage-wise how these different personalities may prominently influence your decisions and what i wondered is right. how do you how do you ca- i mean some of them are obvious rachel maddow for example is very liberal uh bill o'reilly is very conservative but some of the other influences in here i wondered how did you come up with uh, i guess a rating or a percentage of how they might influence the person the user
3: sure so first off uh I want to say I'm really glad that you enjoyed that aspect, Brooke, because we were, we were very excited uh, to release that. Just, just as kind of a, a fun uh, component to not only, you know, match you with some celebrity figures, but also give you an idea of which, um, you know, newscasters and commentators are kind of going to be your echo chamber. Mm. So if you're matching really high with, um, let's say, uh, Stephen Colbert, mm-hmm. you kind of know that that's uh, in your bubble, and you're probably going to hear a lot of your own beliefs reinforced where if you wanted to go to the other end of the spectrum and maybe hear some conflicting viewpoints, you could maybe watch the news broadcast of, like, say, your, you know, your lowest match. who might be uh, Rush Limbaugh or something someone like that, right? Right. Uh, so our goal was kind of give people a spectrum of, of where they could go to find conflicting arguments and, and, and compare those on the issues. Uh, as far as how we get those, like you said, some of them are, are definitely very clear and have a lot of stances. Some of them less so. Uh, but for the ones that we have lacking uh, information, we really just had to, it, it just took more, I would say, man hours to go in and find, because everyone has stances. Uh, so it took more more intensive uh, uh, labor for us to kind of go and find them. Um, and occasionally there were certain guys, I will say, for example, Wolf Glitzer, uh, it can be difficult to find a hard stance for someone like him. Uh, and so in his case, you know, we have a very limited amount of data. And because of that, he's not going to be matching very highly with anyone if we have we don't have enough data on someone they don't match uh, as
1: highly as someone that we have competent you know, information on mm. I'm just curious um, hunter given that uh, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee and given much was made in the primaries about how much he had changed his positions over the years how far back have you gone on his positions to show you know how much he's changed over 20 years or is it the case you've kind of You've only started on him since he's started in the in, in the race this past sort of year and a bit.
3: So that's a great question because Donald Trump is a very unique um, politician, right? Uh, he does not have a legislative track record, and that's almost unheard of for a presidential candidate. Uh, so that's a bit of an anomaly. We don't have something where we can really hold him to a specific, you know, record of action. Uh, I will say we went about. Just under a decade back for him, uh, definitely waiting. We wait. The, the more recent something is, the more importance we give it. So if, you know, if he said something yesterday, we basically cite that as his main stance on, on an issue. Um, whereas if he said something five or 10 years ago, it's not going to have nearly as much weight um, in the algorithm. But certainly uh, an interesting dilemma for us, and it's been a learning experience on how to deal with a presidential candidate uh, that doesn't have a whole, a whole lot of record behind him. Um, I will say that a good example of how we deal with that is that if a candidate has a strong track record of action and a public stance that matches that versus a candidate that just has the public stance but not the track record, you're going to match a lot higher with the candidate that has that strong track record, if that makes
1: sense. Just a quick follow-up on that point, because I did follow him in the campaign a lot. Um, Does that mean the person who has that highest rating, uh, can I suggest, would be a uh, one Texas Senator Ted Cruz?
3: <laughs> I can't say off the top of my head. I would have to look in and, and check on that. I can say uh, I wouldn't be shocked. And I can also say on the, on the uh, Democratic side, I know that uh, Bernie had some of the stronger, Bernie Sanders had some of the stronger correlations between his track record and his public stances. Um, I can't speak there were so many candidates on the Republican side that I, I, it was difficult to keep track of any particular one um, in my head. But I, I would think probably Ted kind of Cruz would be up there.
1: Yeah, just it's just that those two point to the extremes of the the various parties. I know you said you don't want it, don't want it to be binary, but in in terms of how this election's played out, America's just gone way out to the left and way out to the right. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating to um, to see that the, that they are seeking out people who are so-called true in their beliefs and stick to their guns, etc. no pun intended, and yet, at the moment, America seems to need a little bit more in the middle?
3: Uh, I'd say that's an accurate uh, assessment. We certainly, due to gerrymandering and a host of other things, have probably never been more polarized than we are right now, um, which is, I think, you know, maybe mostly not great, but uh, there are some silver linings to it, which is been all the math. Are kind of
0: coming off in this election. Well, Hunter, I know over 7 million Americans have already made up their mind, but for those that haven't quite decided yet with 12 days to go, then maybe they should have a look at Voter. Thank you very much for your time today and all the very best.
3: Thank you guys. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Michael, there's 12 days to go.
1: <laughs> Fist pump.
0: We've talked a lot about Donald Trump. What are you looking for from Hillary Clinton down the stretch?
1: Is Hillary Clinton the closer? is Hillary Clinton going to not just close her race but help Democrats in the Senate and the House win their races? And uh, amazingly, in this election, this will be one of the most split-ticketed... I'm inventing new words here. (laughs) Split-ticketed votes uh, potentially in in modern American history because there'll be Republicans voting Hillary 1, Republican down ballot. There'll be uh, independents voting Hillary 1, Republicans down ballot. Um, And so... That'll be interesting to see how much she is able to in these final days convince Americans to give her not just a mandate in the White House but give her a mandate uh, the Democrats a mandate in the Senate probably not the House They're probably going to be you know ten to fifteen seats there but out of the thirty they need that's that's the critical moment here that means everything to her agenda in the first couple of years
0: and Hillary's still facing troubles on of her own. she's got more WikiLeaks that are coming out day by day. It's more of this drain the swamp that Donald Trump talks about. It plays directly into that. And the other thing that's come up in recent days is her stamina again. She's turned 69. Donald Trump likes to turn to this. And he's been criticised for, you know, taking time off the trail to go and conduct business, opening his hotel, which you were at earlier this week, Michael, in Washington, D.C. And his response is, well, hang on a second. I'm going to go do work for a couple of hours, and now I'm going to North Carolina. I'm doing three more rallies today. Hillary, she does one rally, and she takes a nap. Brooke, is that fair? I think that is spectacularly unfair, but I don't think that Why? in no.
2: politics, I feel like it's all a fair game, right? I mean, but in this
1: year of all years, I mean, what's not fair? But also, I mean, when she has questioned um, his ability to run a campaign successfully and be positive, he's I think I'm impressed that he's doing three a day and that she's only doing the one, maybe two, because. That is a lot of work. And he loves it and he's addicted to the it appears he's addicted to the Yeah, it's
2: a lot of work because he gets to get up and speak, but she's also doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff that is actually getting the vote out in crucial areas that will ensure her success as getting elected for president. Like I think that her her use of time is perhaps more strategic than the sort of stand-up comedy routine we sometimes get from Trump when he goes to these rallies and talks before 20,000 people.
1: Well, on that note, you are right that Hillary Clinton, behind the scenes, is doing a lot of strategic interviews, including this week on her 69th birthday, doing a, m, one of the most popular Latino watch programs, a Spanish-speaking program called um, uh, La Flaca y el Gordo, is it El Gordo de la Flaca, the, the, the Fatty and the Thin Person, or thin, thin, the Thin Person and the Fatty, is how it translates roughly. Um And that is critical in a state like Florida to to winning over Latino voters and getting them out to vote, yeah. So, yes, I take your point that she is being being very strategic. She knows that one a day will get her on the news cycle. Um, A tweet at 3 a.m. will also get you on the news cycle. (laughs) Fair (laughs) point. (laughs) (laughs) She's not burning the midnight oil in that way. If only he was using Vine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So on that question, though, of what to expect in the last stretch, I think that there is just maybe one more tape to come. I think that the momentum has come off the sexual assault allegations claim. We're starting to see Trump rebound a little in the national polls, and I can't help but feel like there is just one more hot mic scandal around the corner to get us into Election Day.
1: I actually reckon the Republicans are saving it for after the election so that they can you know, use it on him to get him sort of get him out of their hair and just sort of move on with business. You're hoping it's after the election because then you'll be gone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the clock is ticking. Yeah. All right, that's all we have time for today, guys. 2 weeks to go. Tick, tick.